Hello, welcome back to Nerd Geek Dork, our podcast where we talk about the nerdy, geeky, and dorky side of things. I'm Pete the Retailer, with me as always is L. Adam. You. And uh, today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about uh, G.I. Joe, a real American hero. A wonderful universe of uh, three and three quarter inch tall men dressed in uh, amazing getups and fighting for freedom for uh, America. Toys, comics, cartoons, animated movies, live action movies, uh, just anything you can think of uh, from the 80s on. G.I. Joe was pretty much the coolest thing that most uh, young boys growing up knew about. It was pretty cool. Mm. And uh, with us to talk about G.I. Joe today, we've got uh, Song and we've got Joe M. Joe Maisel. Crazy Joe. So uh, let's hear what they had to say about G.I. Joe. All right. break it down first i guess and the, talk about there, there's basically three worlds you know three different uh right, lines yeah. of continuity with gi joe there's the toys the comics and the show and the uh larry hama uh, wrote the comic book and wrote the file cards for the toys so those two are kind of more closely intertwined mm-hmm. um whereas the show was kind of free to go off on its own and all they you know whenever there was a new toy line released they would be like all right now you got to add this 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 and this and so you'd get the same characters and vehicles in both, but they would behave somewhat differently. Uh, in the case of some of the characters, very drastically different. I mean, the the cartoon was was very silly in comparison to the comic books, which, you know, were silly in their own way, especially because, you know, it's just the time and, and you know, things weren't as dark and gritty. Yeah. Back then. But, uh, you know, the comic book was pretty serious for, for what it was doing. You know, you, you had a real investment in the characters and what was going on. And you know, some, of them, some of them were just shitty people, <laughs> you know, just really shitty people. <laughs> I think it was darker because it was, I mean, not darker, but it was a little darker, the comic, because yep. uh, it wasn't on afternoon television. Like, didn't have like, any FCC regulations to it. Right. And so I also, you know, comics are such a niche market even then that it, it you know, always subject to less scrutiny. You can get away yeah. with a lot more. Yeah, yeah. You guys know the uh, what the, the original format of G.I. Joe was going to be. The original idea was Larry Hammond pitched a Nick Fury series. Really? Oh, yeah, I did read that. It was like Nick Fury and... Yeah, it was the Fury Force. Fury it was Force. going to be Nick Fury's son who led a team of commandos against Hydra. Hmm. Oh, man. I'm glad that they went with G.I. Joe. Well, I, uh, I found something out doing just some random reading up on this old cartoon from the 90s called uh, Cops. Fighting uh, we, we all know Cops. Time. Yes. Yeah. There was a character there that was Beachhead's son. What? Really? Yeah. Like they, they tied it in. Uh, let me try and find that info. But I was just like, really? Beachhead's son. Wow. Why Beachhead? What are the characters? Really? I was just like, okay, he has a he has a son. That's kind of cool. Was he one of the Was he one of the futuristic cops? Yeah. Wait. So does that mean that uh, that Hector Rodriguez showed up on Cops? <laughs> Hector Rodriguez was the talk show host, right? It was the uh, yeah. What shows was he on? He was on GI Joe. He was on. So he was on GI Joe Transformers Gem. Gem, right? Uh, and I and I believe he was on Humanoids. I I vaguely remember that. Okay, here here we go. His uh his name his code name was Checkpoint. 
His real name was Wayne Sneedon III, a military <laughs> officer who grew up in Alabama. <laughs> He works for uh, he works for the U.S. Army and joins forces with cops. Very fearful, nervous, anxious, but stays in the case with the team anyway to help get the job done. His toy file card says his father was a member of a top secret military team in the 80s or 90s, referencing G.I. <laughs> Joe character Beachhead, a.k.a. Wayne R. Sneedon. Wow, that's amazing. Let's hit up the file cards. They were full of bad puns. And bad puns. Bad like puns what? and just kind of like goofy <laughs> descriptions that it seemed very serious and important. But then if you go back, you know, like... Scarlet's last name is O'Hara, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know uh, Raptor was uh, an accountant. How are we gonna go from Scarlet to Raptor in one step? <laughs> <laughs> Raptor was like ten years in, and the stupidest character they'd ever come up with. <laughs> Wait a minute, is Raptor stupider than Crystal, the uh, over hypnotist? Um, yeah, um, well, Raptor was dressed up as a bird. Right. And he was, he was Cobra's accountant. He just had like <laughs> like a bird cowl on him, like a, a cape that made him fly. But that's part of what made it like if you were, you know, if, if I was supposed to look at this character and, and think that it was badass, like obviously somebody in the design team was just like, oh, this will be awesome and like made something they thought was badass. And then. Hama just goes in and, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's the accountant, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. That's, that's totally part of, that's part of, you know, like, I, I'm almost in on the joke there, and it, it, it makes it awesome. This must have been pretty fun, uh, fun sessions of creating things. <laughs> it added a certain level, and then nothing was really contradicted between, I don't think anything was really contradicted between the file cards and the comics, because as we said, like, yeah, between uh, the file cards and the comics. Wrote both. I, I just wanted to swing back to Raptor again. He was also Cobra's Falconer. Yes. Yeah, that's right. He was the falconer. Yeah. There's two hobbies, and then, you know. Well, I mean, his first love was accountancy. Right. Yeah. But, uh, Find a job that addresses both of those hobbies, and you're gold. <laughs> Has anybody read the comic past, like, issue, I don't know, 75? Um, uh, no, actually, I haven't. I've got all of them. I've got every issue. Because that was uh, around the time that Raptor was introduced, right? Like, Yeah, he was I remember the cover was uh, the... Fred Seven, uh, Cobra Commander impersonator in the maroon pogo pod and like raptors flying around and stuff. And it's kind of yellow. <laughs> <laughs> the background, the sky is like yellow for some reason. I remember the cover of it, but I don't remember. Uh, I don't think that's that late because I don't I don't have much after I want to say after 50. I don't have too much, but uh, I, I read. Well, I guess because I was still pretty young when everything else was coming out. I, I read pretty far ahead, although one issue totally scarred <gasps> me forever uh the one where the saw viper kills everyone oh yeah that's when like they just like that was like toward the end of the series where they just sort of like sort of like wholesale murdering the gi joe team yep they shoot doc between the eyes yeah oh don't tell me that oh it's terrible Poor yeah, doc. He, he like peeks over a ridge and <laughs> he just sees like the saw viper's feet and then he just shoots him right in the face wow and like everyone's like what the hell's going on like tomax and zaymod are like yo Viper, what's wrong with you? And even Cobra Commander's like, what are you doing killing him? <laughs> That's not the rules of the game. Yeah. That's yeah. not how we play, dude. We just shoot their vehicle and they parachute to safety. Yeah. Right. Breaker dies. Uh, crazy legs dies. Quick kick. Crazy legs. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was an attempt to just kind of clear house, right? So they could go forward yeah. with. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Like, all right, we can make up a new uh, you know, medic now and a new whatever the hell crazy legs was. It's like a parachute rescue guy, yeah. Yeah. You know, that was one of the problems, as an adult, it's one of the kind of problems I had with the line was you sort of, you look at it, and roughly around the fourth year in, 
they really start to have, have start to repeat themselves. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Well, you can't just have one guy that does a thing. I mean, a whole team where only one guy is the heavy machine gunner just doesn't seem like they get very much done. Mm. Yeah. You know, so rock and roll, and then roadblock, and then and then roadblock second costume, and then some fellow <laughs> named Heavy Duty. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was kind of like roadblock, but it had a hat. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I owned all the paratroopers and like. I would just get like all the complete sets of lines, you know, because there's like four characters that would always fit into a certain mold, and I had to own them all for some reason. Right. Well, that's it, it. Made it tough, like you know, if you're trying to have an adventure, then you have to figure out something for both Doc and Lifeline to do. Well, yeah. that's what I was just saying. Is it depends if if you're playing the cartoon version, you know, Lifeline doesn't really do very much, right? Remember, because he was his whole thing was that he 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 refused to actually even touch a weapon. Right, right. I, like you know, somebody would be falling off a cliff, and uh, he'd have to save them. They'd be like, "Just reach down to me with the rifle." He'd be like, "I can't touch a gun." <laughs> <laughs> you know? That guy was totally useless. You say that now, but wait until you uh, you're injured in the field of battle. <laughs> <laughs> then he'll still be useless because he's fictional. You'll be like, "Oh, yeah, right, exactly." <laughs> Lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I still think it's pretty smart. The way that they developed Cobra Island in the comic books. I don't know if you remember that. There's the the whole plot where uh, Cobra was going after a nu- trying to retrieve a nuclear warhead at the bottom of the ocean that le- that laid on a fault line. Right. And then, like, you know, they're like, oh, we got to do something about this. We can't let Cobra get that. So what they do is they, they, they detonate it. And it forces the fault line to shift, which you know, forces this huge body of land up to the surface. And at the moment that it's at, at the surface, Cobra lands people on it, plants their flag, and then they have, say, Mountain Tomax in the consulate saying we declare sovereignty for this island. Right. And I thought that was always great. It was just like, it was smart. It was smart for something that was made to sell toys to children, you know. and uh, Yeah, it had kind of rich characters. You know, if you compare the He-Man line to the G.I. Joe line, like it's almost night yeah. and day where, the, you know, they had kind of yeah. cool character designs with He-Man, but there was no depth yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they just added O to a description of what they did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or. Yeah, yeah, He-Man was like, I was like seven, eight years old when the G.I. Joe line debuted, but there was something that seemed really immature about the He-Man line from a seven-year-old perspective. And, I mean, I love fantasy and, like, so, you know, I love fantasy and sword and sorcery and stuff like that when I was seven. But, like, He-Man was basically, we have this Conan license, we've made the molds, and now we can't use it, so we got to think of something quick. Right. Yeah. Where G.I. Joe was sort of like, the franchise is already 15 years old, and it was like a conglomerate, you know, it was a group effort between Marvel Comics and Hasbro to kind of release the toys. Yeah. I was just going to add, I remember... Listening to a podcast a few years ago with um, Donald Glute, the guy that uh, the guy that named and wrote a lot of the He-Man stuff when it was coming out, and he was saying that, you know, I don't know if you remember the the toys when they would come out, they always had like a little comic book on the inside, and yeah. the comic book would sort of introduce the introduce the characters by putting them into you know precarious situations, and he said that he was he was getting a lot of the toys to to base what he was doing off before he had any information about what they were so a lot of that was just because you know he's like he got sent to he got sent the toy of castle grayskull and had to work that into the thing he's like well i don't even know what this thing's called what it's like a gray skull well, i'll just call it castle grayskull you know <laughs> 
That, so. that does seem like how a lot of He-Man was named. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a snake on this mountain. <laughs> snake mountain. Which is another, again, going back to Larry Hama, the fact that, you know, he was working on both the, the toy side <laughs> and the comic book side gave it a sign of a kind of continuity there. Because I remember some of the stuff in the He-Man comics that came with the toys directly contradicting what would be on TV or what ended up being kind of canon Mm -hmm. for He-Man. When He-Man was released, there was a DC miniseries that was completely its own weird thing, and that was never acknowledged or dealt with ever again. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I actually, I've always wondered about? Uh, Between, like, issue number, like, seven and, like, issue number 19 of the G.I. Joe comic there was the supporting cast of characters that were never developed into either the show or maybe action figures of or anything. There was like Dr. Venom and uh, well, Doc- the Eskimo, the mighty Quinn. Right. Quinn was great. I think Dr. Dr. Yeah, and Quinn died, right? Dr. Mindbender. Yeah. Well, they all died in the same issue. Uh, they all died in 19. And that was also Baroness. Oh, that's who, right. That's right. But the time was not made into a toy. was like, she didn't die, but she was, you know... She was uh, scarred. Yeah, she was horribly scarred and, like, mummified, yeah. basically. Right, which is how she ended up in the armor that the toy eventually had. Right, right. And that, it says that on her file card as well, right? It says that her face was ho- horribly scarred in a firefight, so nobody knows what she actually used to look like anymore or something to that effect, like from the extensive plastic surgery. And so it wasn't Dr. Venom that was that became Dr. Mindbender. It was Dr. Brainwave. Right, like he was right. introduced as Dr. Brainwave, and then they changed his name. Because I remember trying to uh, – when they changed his name to Dr. Mindbender, I uh, sent in a letter trying to win a no prize. <laughs> you did or you did not get it? Who knows? <laughs> and then there was there – was, what was that, uh, that Viper's name that he was like – he was pretty prominent in those first few issues. I think he died too, but he had like a scar. Scar? His yeah, name was Scar, yeah. Wait, really? Uh-huh. Or Scarface. Scar or Scarface. Yeah, yeah one of Scarface, those. right, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that was Larry Hammer's attempt to just kind of, like, you know, push the envelope a little bit, introduce new characters, and then once, if it got more successful or they just started coming out with more product, they were just like, all right, you know, put the kibosh on all that stuff, just use the guys that we give you. Which he still didn't listen to, because, I mean, he did the, you know, the soft master was a fairly major player for about 25 issues. Right. Yeah, all the masters, right? The blind master and the hard master. And, yeah. Um, the stair master. master. The stair master, yeah. <laughs> that was the Suzanne Summers tie-in. <laughs> Yeah, but it was always weird to me that they just wiped the slate of any non-action-figured character in one issue. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like one, I one mean, they, they still continued to have some as time went on. Oh, yeah, no, they did. And in fact, I mean, like I said, like 19 was when Quinn, uh, when Quinn and stuff died. Yeah. 26 is where the Soft Masters introduced. Right, right. And then Billy, you know, Billy was big. Yeah. And, uh, it's cool, except when he tried to be a hero. But other than that, I liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah. He was a fool with his life. Yeah, right. They had con- they had convinced Billy to kill his father, right? Right. That's a yeah. that's a great cover as well. That one. Yeah. So yeah. Commander at the podium, like, what? There's a handful of characters that kind of were supposed to exist that didn't. Between the comics and the TV show and the movie, there was like, why was there never a big lob action figure? Big lob. Yeah. He was kind of prominent, not, not prominently featured, but he had a lot of speaking parts in the movie, and then they just was, never... I would say he's fairly prominently featured. Yeah. He featured heavier than, say, Gung Ho. Well, Gung Ho already had an exit figure. So. But he had yeah. two, actually, by that point. <laughs> yeah, Gung Ho had been around for a while. Oh, that's right, because they had him in his dress blues, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. That was a pretty awesome figure. He had a sword. I never had that one. Yeah, neither did I, but I played with it occasionally. <laughs> yeah, with great imaginations, huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> I never had it, but I've played with it occasionally. There's the saga of Rocky Balboa. And Big Boa, right? Big Boa. Yeah, Big Boa seems so out of place without Rocky there. To like... <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it was out of place as a kid. You know, you kind of like, all right, Cobra needs a boxing instructor. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll deal with that. I, I wish they had made the Rocky figure just for, I, f- I feel like there was supposed to be like a baton with like, or a staff with boxing gloves on each end or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he was in the, the, uh, the Order of Battle, which is, you know, the kind right. of uh, G.I. Joe universe guidebook. Who's who. Yeah. Who's who. Yeah. Well, at the bottom of the page as well, it said, Rocky Balboa is not and, and never will be a, a member of the G.I. Joe team or something like that. Yeah. It was like a disclaimer at the end, huh. you know? Um, I always thought it was funny as a kid. I was like, why is that there? Why would they put him in there and then have that like two pages later? Because he's at the end of the book, as I recall. And uh, yeah, and then like a few months later, there was Big Boa. Yeah, I always thought like, I mean, how cruel is Cobra to have a boxing instructor who's covered in spikes? <laughs> I seem to recall his file card was particularly ridiculous. Like the training for Cobra troops was kind of like the worst thing you could imagine like they have to like climb up a mountain with like a large rock on their chin that they have to roll up <laughs> and be, like the most sadistic kung fu movie training sequence you could possibly imagine and it'd be like wow how does cobra lose all the time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah The first one I ever had was uh, was Stalker, and which is was... great that there's a character named Stalker. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> well, stalking is bad now. Yeah, back in the eighties, stalking was encouraged. <laughs> well, I mean, it meant something different, you know. Right. I think anyway, yeah. not, not to get into the psychology of stalking, but um, <laughs> Stalker was the first one that I got, and I, you know, my my father was like vehemently anti-war and right. anything like he would never buy me violence toys. But the only uh, the only reason I ever wound up with G.I. Joe's at all was because there was a black guy. And so he was like, well, this is cool, you know, so this character is a black guy. And look, the enemy's a white guy, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him play with this. And, you know, Stalker's file card on the back, it had his whole story about him being the leader of, of the, a big old street gang in, in New York City. And it just seemed like he was a cool guy, you know. He was like a black exploitation character that just right. like. I joined the military. And he had a like, cool real name, didn't he? I got, I got to look this Lonzo up. R. Wilkinson. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. That is pretty cool. <laughs> and he also, uh, Stalker was fairly prominent in the like, first, like, you know, two or three years of the comic book. Yeah, for the first couple of years. All right, Silent Interlude, uh, G.I. Joe number 21, where, uh, you know, depending on what you believe, uh, either was constructed to be this kind of, you know, wordless pantomime kind of, you know, silent interlude or uh was plotted and drawn by lyra hama but then he didn't have time to uh to put the script in that's the story i've heard yeah um either way it's brilliant yeah either way it works regardless of the the intent like i i just remember reading it in the car on the way home and just at one point saying to my mom like you know i'm like halfway through this comic and there nobody said a word yet (laughs) it took me a while to figure out that was the point uh, but then I carried that thing in my back pocket for, you know, weeks and, and, you know, I like was trying to make the little kind of Cobra glider and shop class. And it, it was just totally like this switch where it was just like, wow, this is like this deeper world. Yeah. Cause that brings in stuff that you didn't even know. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing is that there's a, there's a whole history between snake eyes, storm shadow and scarlet. 
And that's the first time that you ever got that. Right. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. The thing about Silent Interlude, it's not like that was the first like kind of pantomime comic book by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> right. But like the whole series, while the series may have been for children, like Larry Hanna, at least in the first two years, you know, once you get like once like every issue is introducing three new characters, which is ultimately kind of what happened. It starts to go downhill, but at least for the first couple of years, I mean, as a kid anyway, I couldn't tell the difference in quality between, you know, Daredevil and uh, G.I. Joe. Right. Hopefully that means something to our listeners other than like somebody might just be like, I don't know. I don't, what is the difference between Daredevil and G.I. Joe? Well, I mean, it wasn't written for children. It was written, you know, it was like, like, let's say at the time, comic books were pretty much written by adolescents. And this is also an era where comic book creators started to think that they weren't just, you know, finding stuff out. But like Larry Hama seemed to have the same ethos, you know, and I feel like ultimately it started to go downhill a little bit. Um, but at the, you know, but like, again, those like first two years, it felt like a very, you know, it was a self-contained universe that didn't feel pandering. Right. Yeah. Where like the sectors comic, I cannot say that about. In addition to, you know, introducing this more realistic, uh, you know, storylines and, and kind of, you know, character development. G.I. Joe was also kind of an entree into the world of comics. So uh, from Marvel's point of view, I guess it was really successful because not only did they sell comics, but it was like a gateway drug. Yeah, totally. Because the first comic I ever bought with my own money was G.I. Joe number four. Wow. And then from there, you know, that, that kind of brought me back on a regular basis. Yeah, it was the same here. And uh, yeah, Joe led to Spider-Man for me. Yeah. Uh, getting used to some of the artists, you know, Michael Golden, he did that uh, G.I. Joe annual with the October Guard. Yeah. And uh Basically, G.I. Joe is, is to blame for the way I am today. <laughs> wow. wow. RoboCop I mean, me into G.I. Joe. Wow. RoboCop got you into G.I. Joe? Yeah, because my... Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen the cartoons and all, but as a kid, I, I thought Sci-Fi was a cool-looking character, and he just basically looked like, you know... Sci-Fi was the with the two giant rockets. No, hey, no. He's, got, he's got the one cool episode where they go to a sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi was the second laser trooper, the guy who basically replaced Flash. He was wearing neon green. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. The, the least practical outfit to have on a battlefield. The episode where him and Sergeant Slaughter team up is the greatest thing ever. Wait, Sergeant so- Slaughter's like, I don't want to hang out with this nerd. But I <laughs> oh, that's to. right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So wait, how does RoboCop enter the picture? I don't know. I was playing with like some of his action figures, and I think I just decided <laughs> that sci-fi was going to be my stand-in for RoboCop. Huh. And... Uh, <laughs> It, it, appealed, I, it appealed to me. I can see that. I, they have a similar kind of face shape thing going on. Yeah. Exactly. With the kind of half visor and the kind of silver. Uh, all right, yeah, that works. Yeah. He was a robot in my eyes. One kid that I played with G.I. Joe a lot when I was a kid, when I was really young, he brought some of his friends from the neighborhood and we had this epic kind of like G.I. Joe thing. And we were like, you know, figuring out who was going to be who. And I remember it was really embarrassing because somebody's mom was there and like one kid's little <laughs> brother said he wanted to be blowjob. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask that. How how long did it take before the first time you heard a friend call snow job, blow job? Yeah. I I know it was probably about an hour for me. Yeah, my friends were more innocent, but it it took an accident by a little kid. Why did he know that at that point? By name, by name. You know, I was a child. Right. Yeah. I'd seen things. When you were playing with your G.I. Joe figures, did you ever have like one specific one who always happened to die for some reason? Or maybe this is just me because I I made elaborate storylines and adventures for my G.I. Joes. Windmill would always die for some reason. There was a character named Windmill? Yeah, he was. (laughs) Was he Dutch? (laughs) I don't remember. He used to fight against this Spanish fella. (laughs) 
I didn't as much as there was, you know, a lot of guns and bombs and missiles and everything. Like I, I don't, I didn't have a lot of death in my GI Joe kind of playing. Right. You followed the cartoon pretty yeah, much. It was kind of more like the cartoon where there, you know, stuff would blow up, but people would always somehow, you know, more or less be okay. I tended to always lose the guns and accessories, so the uh, gun aspect kind of went downhill for me. My GI Joe adventures had nothing to do with GI Joe fighting against Cobra. We um. We used to create strange scenarios like uh, it would always start off with like like battles and stuff, but then it would just eventually devolve into some sort of silliness, like some sort of absurdist social commentary, <laughs> you know, so the guys weren't really hey, like <clears throat> I think I told you this, Pete, before that we had a, a thing going for a while where, um, you know, we started mixing all the characters up, like all of the figures from every toy line. Right. And so there was there was this big battle between like the the toys who didn't have uh, articulated joints versus the GI Joes, right? Because the GI Joes could bend their elbows and their knees and stuff, whereas like you know the Fisher Fisher Price people couldn't do that, mm. or the Star you know, Wars so, people, or the Star Wars people, right? So, you know, we had stuff where like the the GI Joes were persecuting the other people who couldn't bend their elbows and stuff and calling them stiffs and you know excluding them from events and things like that like that was that was the majority of my gi joe playing really was was bizarre stuff it, wow. it didn't like it was like me working out social issues in my <laughs> life <laughs> that's deep i like it and yeah. it was kind of you know it's fun to to make a truck drive around and stuff but yeah there's yeah. something odd about that it was like you've never mentioned your mom having an anti-combat stance with your toys no not really uh, she never but, wanted to fight his toys yeah <laughs> but my mom had a problem with it and you know we and we all know like tons of kids who've had that issue it was weird that this like unbelievably successful paramilitary toy line came out when we were kids but like all of our parents came from a generation of unbelievable peaceniks. Yeah, yeah. There must have been enough people that were buying that stuff that had nothing to do with you know that that weren't interested in uh, stopping the spread of war. I mean, you know, there were still people going to war. No, I mean we were all far coast liberals, and like yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, like like the Reagan administration was a time of you know like exceptionally jingoistic attitude and a rebirth of a sort of faith in American ideals. Yeah. For good or for ill, mostly for ill. I mean, and it like certainly coincides with that period very well, like the G.I. Joe line. But with that said, also is weirdly came up so soon after a generation of people who were so vehemently anti-war, you know, were people persuaded by like kind of the new type of parenting. Like, you know, if you let your kids play with guns, they'll become murderers. Right. Like well, kids can be exposed to violence, like that whole thing, which was not as significant as an issue prior to like the early seventies. Right, yeah. where everybody just ran around playing, you know, cowboys and Indians and cops and robbers and shooting each other all the time. Yeah, right. And that like was with actual things that shot. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, part of it's the you know whatever your parents tell you, you know, you can't have is what you get really into. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's so all the you know hippie parents who are just like, hey man, like you can't play with guns, and then it's just like, all right. This awesome, super colorful gun force is all I want to do. Super colorful gun force. <laughs> That's yeah. what's called the comic in Japan, actually. <laughs> speaking of mixing in, you know, mixing in the other action figures and speaking of working out social issues through uh, through G.I. Joe play. Uh, one thing that I found it hard to do, hard to kind of reconcile, in addition to most, if not all of the G.I. Joes for the first several uh, iterations. I also had all the MASH figures. <laughs> Wait, MASH? Not MASH. 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 And so uh, maybe that was an attempt by my parents to kind of be like, all right, well, you can play with the gun guys, but also play with, you know, wisecracking uh, maudlin hospital folks. 
Right. <laughs> uh, but they, it was tough to work them into storylines too. Yeah. Um, especially because they weren't as well painted, so they didn't really have eyes. <laughs> yeah, when it came to the three and three quarter inch figures, Mego did not exactly pull out all the stops. Mm. But you know, they showed up in some uh, some adventures. You can't help but realize that the GI Joe line is a little bit better than the Star Wars line in terms of they had more yeah. junk. Like they came with more stuff and they were better articulated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, the Star Wars figures at the time were basically like, here's your very stiff action figure and maybe his one gun. Right. As opposed to, I mean, oh, look, here's a G.I. Joe figure and he has this like really cool backpack and two guns and a helmet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the cool thing about the Star story. Wars figures is just like, hey, look, it's Greedo. And then yeah. like, once you get past the fact that it's Greedo, it's it's not that cool of a toy. Well, especially because Greedo's already dead by the, t- by the time, you know. Spoilers. Half an hour in. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, there might be some people who yeah. listen to this and have never watched Star Wars before. It would beg the question, why would they be listening to us talking about G.I. Joe? <laughs> Priorities. weird to watch the show develop in that like you know so i watched the first miniseries so for those who don't know gi joe you know debuted in like the fall of 1983 as a miniseries and then the fall of 1984 they did the second miniseries and then the uh fall of 1985 they did a third miniseries followed by the regular show you know the first miniseries for a 1980s uh television 1980s children's cartoon was animated pretty decently yeah same with the second series, and even the first season of the show, like, was done pretty uh, interestingly. The like the Serpentor episodes, like the quality starts to genuinely go downhill a little bit, right? Um, but in terms of the writing, you know, the, uh, it's weird. Like the first miniseries is pretty straight. Like, there's not a lot of jokes. You know, there's not a lot of don't take this stuff too seriously, kids. Yeah. Um, the second one goes downhill a little bit from that, and then like the show is very much a don't take this too seriously, kids. Yeah, the show is dressed as a pirate. Well, as soon as shipwreck shows up, it becomes (laughs) an all-out comedy. I mean, every time shipwreck is in it, it's it's silly, you know. And he's in it all the time, pretty much. He's in it all the time, yeah. Because the writers loved him. Yeah, Yeah. and they knew that what children really wanted was a surly Jack Nicholson esque uh, sailor. Yeah, with a bird that was way too smart. I think it was in the the show Bible or whatever. Under shipwreck, it was like, all right, write him like Popeye, but play him like Jack Nicholson. Right. Wow, it'd be cool if they brought Shipwreck into that new series of horrible movies where they get everything wrong. Hey, the first movie had one redeeming thing. I mean, I enjoyed it for being a stupid <laughs> movie, but uh, I was telling Pete about this the other day. Um, Breaker was in the movie, and at one point, Ripcord, Marlon Wayne's character, goes to, <laughs> to take a to like goes to use his last piece of gum and Breaker's like, hey man, you got gum? And he's like, it's my last piece. And he's like, give it to me anyway. And he blows the trademark Breaker oh, well, gum bubble. I don't, I don't remember that. I'm and just... I was like, I don't care how bad the rest of this movie is. They did that and that's all I need. That's pretty decent that they did that. But you know. I would argue for the G.I. Joe the first film. I will say that if the G.I. Joe television show, and I think, you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say the G.I. Joe television show is basically, you know, a kid's cross between James Bond and the Dirty Dozen. I pretty much feel that the film kind of matches that. Yeah, but they, oh man, I don't know where to start. Have you all watched that movie? I, have I saw it the night it came out. Like every aspect of every character and the way that things function in G.I. Joe was 
it's almost like they did the opposite of him. Snake Eyes was the loudest guy in the entire movie. Yeah. Talking. He had a mouth for some reason. <laughs> I thought it was really weird. But no, just stuff like the Cobra soldiers are soldiers because they've got implants to control their decisions. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the story with Cobra is that Cobra Commander was like this this sort of homegrown terrorist ex-used car dealer that, that built this city up, this this like – city that was in a re- recession right like uh yeah. what was it like rosewood some some weird springfield springfield, springfield. Yeah. Why? And he, he took springfield and he you know th- like those people that are parts of their members of cobra are totally devoted to him right you know and then to make that movie where it's not no it's not about devotion they've got implants that control their actions you know is but it was everything was like that like all the way through i just felt like watching it every single aspect of everything that they included in it they got totally wrong it really bothered me. I'm interested in the second movie because it seems like they heard that criticism. The movie wasn't as successful as they wanted. So the plot of the of the sequel is basically everybody from the first movie dies in the first five minutes. And then the people who are basically the G.I. Joes that you know come in and, and kind of get their revenge. And a bunch of ninjas. And yes. fight, a, fight a bunch of ninjas. And Cobra Commander looks like Cobra Commander. Oh, he's got the mask? Yeah. Right. Although the cool thing was how awesome Zartan was in that movie. Oh, yeah. Was was, was Zartan the mummy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. And they excluded that thing on his head. Yeah. That thing that was always confusing to me as a kid. Whether it was hair or whether it was a rag. Yeah, like a hood. You know, I hope like the sequel has Tomax and Zaymont, though. That'd be pretty good. And Raptor. I'm somewhat intrigued. I, I, I would like to see the sequel. It comes out in like March or May or something like that. Although it was finished over a year ago. Yeah. Why yeah, has they, it been delayed? The official For story no was, reason, I can assure you. <laughs> the official story was they took it back into the shop to do the kind of post 3D effect. But apparently they kind of recut it and shot some new scenes because one of the actors in it, whose name I can't remember. What, in the sequel? Yeah. Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Thank you. How do you forget that name? Has, yeah. it, it sounds like a G.I. Joe name. It does, doesn't it? Um, he's since become a big star, and so they cut out the part where he dies like 20 minutes in, and they cut new scenes. It's at the end. You find out he's in a coma. Hey, everybody. Duke's going to live. <laughs> Which actually is, perfectly brings us to. Yeah. Segway into G.I. Joe the movie. <laughs> <laughs> once a man. Once a man. I, I love that they're going after the BET. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was an important demographic. Yeah, Arab Magruder <laughs> must have been really happy about that one. <laughs> nice. So all the rich storylines and, and uh, kind of, you know, out there stuff that we were talking about for the show and the comics and the file cards. And then basically take all that and throw it out the window. And that's what that's what G.I. Joe the movie starts out with. Well, it was it was done before Transformers the movie came out, right? It's just after that they made the Duke change. Yeah, they made the Duke change because they didn't want kids crying. Right, because of Optimus Prime thing, they got so much complaint. Yeah, parents complaining because their kids were crying because robots died. I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You can rebuild robots. Yeah, I think Transformers, GI Joe, and uh, like My Little Pony, the movie, were all done at the same time or whatever. Oh man, they had to really get out the whole sales slaughter in the My Little Pony movie. Yeah, (laughs) the recuts in that one were terrible. (laughs) It's almost a completely different film. Exactly, all about gelatin. It was a big gelatin advert. What? <laughs> Horse hooves. Oh, I see. Yeah. So take all that, throw it out the window, because it starts, you know, much like you said, the thing that ruins uh, the G.I. Joe live action movie that I haven't seen. 
Cobra all of a sudden isn't this uh, kind of, you know, homegrown terrorist organization. They're actually the, the monsters. Off, yeah, the offshoot of this weird uh, kind of ancient. Uh, uh, they're not aliens. They're, they're just like, kind of like it's people. kind of like Lovecraft, like some, yeah. some ancient evil that's been buried in the earth for the past like two million years. Or something. Cobra Commander was sent out by them as their chief scientist to take over the world for them so that they could come back. And uh, they're like, Cobra Commander is a world-class buffoon. Right. <laughs> and, well, uh, which he was. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> which is another thing I mean, you notice like, I mean, when you watch the series that like Cobra Commander goes from somebody kind of scary and effective to just like, oh, you guys! I was just watching the episode the other day where uh, Cobra Commander is trying to carve his face on the side of the moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's like his big plan, you know, so that <clears throat> whenever anybody looks up into the sky, they'll have to see his face, which, you know, is absurd because he wears a mask. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That's not the only absurd reason. But no. It's just uh, the whole show is it was full of stuff like that, right? Mon- there were loads of monsters in that show. Oh, yeah, the beginning. There was that big, like, uh, amoeba cloud thing that one episode with the uh you're thinking of star trek no 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 there was like a germ <laughs> strain that like uh some some main cobra guy like stole it hmm. and then it kind of just like got out everywhere and yeah uh, they had to like yeah, throw like apples blob, at right? it or oranges yeah, at right. it yeah that's pretty early on in the first season shipwreck was in it though wow. so it might have been later that just means it was an episode yeah yeah shipwreck. that means it was an episode <laughs> From I mean, Cobra on. Yeah, he shows up in the second. That's the second miniseries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the second miniseries. He's in the desert and he has his uh, desert sailboat. Right. No, that's the third series, isn't it? Because I thought he was on his little desert sailboat because there was no power. Speaking of which, I have to, I have to mention this. You know what? Did it not seem obvious to you guys as a kid that a pyramid was probably not the best way to block out all the power on the earth? I mean, there's always going to be one, one whole half of the earth that's got power. <laughs> like it should have been like a cube, the cube right. of darkness. But wait, there's nothing mystical about a cube. Exactly. Unless it's the cosmic cube. Yeah, despite Erno Rubik's best efforts. <laughs> yeah, so the movie, uh, everything got scaled way back. It got a straight-to-video release. and I mean, it does have some really cool action sequences, but it does kind of ruin everything. Yes. Yes, it does. I remember being really impressed with the scene where, uh, what's her name? Pythona? Something where like Pythona that. breaks into the you know Cobra headquarters. Right. Like that was pretty well done. And I'm sure there's some other action sequence in there I like. But I remember like being really mixed because like I sort of liked the idea that they were kind of giving an origin story. And at the same time, it did really kind of confuse me as to why are they like science fiction snake men? Although the show itself with so many science fiction monsters and I don't know why that upset me. Well, I mean, the beginning of that was Serpentor, right? Serpentor is pretty much the point where where Hasbro took over. Yeah. You know, because it started off as this thing that these guys that were working at Marvel had, you know, they they loved G.I. Joe's and they wanted to bring it back and they figured out a whole way where they could do a cartoon and a toy line and a comic book and they just really poured their heart into it, you know, and they loved it. And uh, and it just started making too much money, right? you know. And so Hasbro was like, yeah, well, you know, the kids go for the weird, wacky sci-fi stuff. They don't want just plain. I, I kind of figure Zartan is the beginning of the end, to be honest. Yeah, but I also feel that, like, Zartan, when you watch it, in, even in the sort of, like, uh, you know, like, the measure of sort of, like, base rules of the show, mm-hmm. um, there's certainly science fiction, uh, you know, elements to the uh, first season. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, first miniseries, the mass device. Right. Uh, there's, like, you know, Cobra, sla- Cobra mind-controlled slaves. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is cool. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's still, he stretches credulity. Yeah. Like, the second season, you introduce a guy who, you know, can't go into the sun, but can change his identity and also hangs around with three Australian bikers. <laughs> right. Let's bring Mad Max into it. Right. Exactly. It's a really like, like it, it does, you know, it does begin to stretch credulity. Another thing I sort of notice is like, I kind of feel that, you know, and I felt the exact opposite when I was a child, I assure you. But the more they added to the G.I. Joe toy line, the worse the like the worse the cartoons became. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. again, that's, you know, it was making too much money. So they were just cranking out new stuff uh, without regard for characterization, plotting, et cetera. They're just like, all right, what can we do that's cool? The D cartoon was terrible for that. The D cartoon it was like every episode. There was like 10 new guys introduced. You know, there was yeah. no time to focus on any of the characters. Just want to say, Serpentor, beginning of the end. I think it's very telling that in the comic books, Serpentor is killed within 15 issues after. Oh, totally. He gets shot in the face by Zartan, right? Yes, but he gets a shot. He's laid low like the Saxon King Harold. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, you remember the line. Good job. <laughs> <laughs>